the best gaming characters aren't the ones that look like humans. If I want reality, I'll turn on my video camera. What I want is something that's engaging and compelling that I actually have a genuine emotional connection to. Hello and welcome to People With Purpose. Today I'm joined by Chuck Rinker, who is programming humanity into artificial intelligence uh, and uh, and with a big focus on the healthcare industry, which is uh, close to Chuck's heart. So we'll hear all about that. Chuck, welcome to the show. I thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. And I think you uh, introduced my company better than I could. Programming humanity. I love that term. I'm going to use that. Okay, cool, cool. Well, you know, it's um, it's what we need. I mean, there's lots of, uh, I suppose, uh, opportunity when it comes to AI, but there's also a fair bit of anxiety around what the implications of AI could bring for humanity with people that I talk to. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? My initial thoughts are people need to stop believing everything they see on TV and the movies. <laughs> the movies have the whole world scared of AI, have scared of these new technologies. They're coming to take our jobs. They're going to become sentient beings and Skynet's going to take over the world. <laughs> uh, the reality is, is artificial intelligence is actually nothing new. And that's something I like to talk to people about. I mean, I've been doing AI since the 80s. And people are like, well, that's not possible. AI has been around since 1980. I will go, yeah, it's been around a long time even before that. Um, um, so, so my thoughts are is people really need to change the way they think of AI and think of AI as um, the, same, the same way we went from manual typewriters to laptops and word processors. People thought that was, oh, that's going to take away all the secretarial jobs. And maybe it did, but it replaced them with a, a, a higher value uh, work for the employees that would embrace that technology. So we really have to look at AI as just an incredibly advanced productivity tool that's meant to work alongside you and make humans more creative, more uh, productive, and more um, um, efficient um, um, at their jobs and 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 take a, just a little different perspective on what AI is doing to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with that. Uh, and then I uh, I read stuff in uh well there's a recent report actually there's this thing in the uk called the U uk customer service index and uh, one thing that that drew out the last analysis of customer satisfaction in the uk said that uh, there's a lot of organizations who are using things like bots and automation uh, to uh, to handle uh, processes uh, and customers are not enjoying that experience. So, you know, how can companies harness the opportunity that AI brings without damaging that relationship with the customer? That's a, that's a great um, um, piece. And I'm, I'm going to plug probably a, a fellow podcaster. There's a podcast out there called uh, Spamming Zero, if you haven't listened to. Right. And the reason I like referencing that is not only was it a fun podcast, um, but it really equates to we've advanced so much of this technology. We've become so scalable in our technology and the availability to gather data, analyze data, and create actionable insights on that data. However, we forgot that as we add complexity to our ecosystem of technology, we've also added an additional burden on the human race itself. And spamming zero was basically a joke on, you know, when internet voice response systems, I mean, we're supposed to be, you know, all the rage and you get on the phone and you just talk to a synthesized voice. But at the end of the day, 
most of the population was just sitting there pounding on the zero key over and over. I want to talk to somebody live. Yeah. And it's because of the fluency of the technology and that right now, when you walk into a Home Depot and you want to find um, where's, okay, where's a bandsaw? Well, you might not have the app. You might not have internet connectivity. You might not even have the right mobile phone. So you're, 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 you're being, you're, there's a barrier between us and what's potential as the scalability of our technology. And that barrier to me is actually communication. It's, we spend so much time teaching people and trying to get them acclimated to technology. All we're doing at Personas is flipping that over and saying, well, okay, we'll stop. Why don't we just teach technology to communicate like we've done for millions of years? We're so advanced. And the way you and I are talking right now, um, uh, David, is, you know, you're smiling, you're grinning, you're shaking your head a little. And I'm, I'm kind of smiling back and, and we're creating a communication that's not part of the narrative, textual narrative. And, and that's what's been missing. And so really all we're doing is saying stop teaching people how to use technology, start teaching technology how to communicate as people. So we're not human AI replacements. That's everybody believes we're trying to take people's jobs. We're really just trying to make this advanced amount of scalable technology you keep referencing to. Why aren't we getting better satisfaction? Well, because our, our problem to the solution is throwing more technology at it, hmm. not creating a technology that makes the technology that's available to, to us. We call it invisible technology. If you can make that technology invisible, then it just becomes part of our natural communication pipeline. And that's, that's really what we're trying to pull off here. Yeah. And that's, that's really interesting because um, I always resisted going down the um, IVR approach with phone lines, you know, cause I'm, I'm quite big on customer service and I think that human touch is really important. And, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I was a, I was definitely a laggard when it came to, okay, in my business, press one for this and two for that. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I've I've come to terms with it now, you know, and kind of you know gone gone through the emotional uh, roller coaster of, of of making that decision. And actually, the feedback from customers is is really positive about it because you know they want to communicate with you as a business to access a, a certain uh, a, a certain service or, or or get something done. And if it's going to make it faster and better for the customer to get that experience that they want, then you know people will more often than not these days be happy to press a couple of buttons to get there. But what's really interesting is when you phone a company up and they've the voice that you hear is actually in the dialect or the accent of the of where that company comes from and it becomes then so much more relatable. You know you're not talking mm -hmm. or you're not listening to a human being, but you're listening to a a, a human voice, if you like. Uh, so yes. you know, is, is that the kind of thing you're talking about when with bringing humanity into the technology or making the technology more human-like? Absolutely. And you touched on a few key points that I'll try to, I'll try to remember. One about is the, uh, we kind of live in this instant society. You know, I, I, I'm going to send you an email after the show and I'm going to call you up five minutes later. And then you go, oh, I didn't get it. And you go, well, I said it five minutes ago. Why isn't it halfway around the world already? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of ex expectation is what we've grown to as a society that we're so used to having all this technology and we believe that it's seamless and that it should be instant. So that's part of the challenge of this communication barrier we're breaking down. But as far as the relatability, that's a topic that I really um, have fun talking about. Now, you'll, you'll find here shortly, you're going to be like, all right, Chuck, 
pipe down a little. You're, you're rambling a little bit because I, I really do get on my soapbox about the passion piece here. Yeah. And it really stems on to how was Personas created. Um, um, we actually were formed out of a bunch of game developers. I used to run the EA Sports franchises for NCAA football and uh, Madden football briefly and had worked in the game industry for a while and in the animation industry and all. And we learned early on, um, even before that, I was doing military simulation. And so my entire career has been centered around how do you engage people? And some of our, I won't call them competitors. It's a new space. I'll call them competitors. Uh, everybody's trying to accomplish the same goal, but they're so in tune with this concept of, oh, let's recreate a human. And they go down this path that we as gamers uh, call suspension of disbelief. The best gaming characters aren't the ones that look like humans. If I want reality, I'll turn on my video camera. What I want is something that's engaging and compelling that I actually have a genuine emotional connection to. And Disney knew this in 1928. <laughs> you can create an emotional connection much, much easier with an object that shows personality that you relate to. I, you know, most dads in the world like Goofy because Goofy's always got his best intention for his kids, but he's a little awkward, a little funny, and he's, he tells bad dad jokes. So you become related to those characters and those characters, when they become relatable, you become emotionally bound to them. What we call in, in the marketing world, they call it brand intimacy. And so, you know, Flo's a good example of that. The Geico Gecko is a good example of that. Of course, Mickey Mouse. So what do you do? Not saying we're trying to create cartoon characters, but we're stop, We're trying to make people stop looking at these AI communication layers that we're creating and looking at them as human replacements. And we're not trying to recreate a human experience. What we're trying to, I mean, the human, we're trying to recreate the human experience. We're not trying to replace people's jobs. I'm trying to go to you and saying, okay, you know what? I'm not trying to take your job away from you, but how much better would you be at your job? How much happier would you be at your job if I could take 10 to 15 hours a week of all the repetitive mundane stuff that happens to you, take that off your plate and pass it off to this human AI assistant that's part of your staffing. And now I've returned that piece back to your work staff. That is... That is the, the, the approach we have here. And a final point on that, that's incredibly keen, uh, not keen, incredibly important to the, um, even the healthcare sector that we focus on a lot, but to the genuine uh, belief in, um, not belief, there's a lot of studies behind it, but the value of what this brings to the, 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 the society as a whole and not just specific use cases. As we've found, and there's many studies and tr clinical trials and clinical studies and anecdotal studies that show when people are relating to a character. And uh, to your point, they tend to trust that character. They tend to have a more empathetic relationship with that character. And the really underlying phenomenon that I even personally find amazing, and I've been doing this since 1980, um, is that people tend to provide more accurate information to an avatar than they do even a human when you're talking medical space. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to have this 57-year-old white guy asking a 15-year-old uh, black female in America why she's addicted to opioids and having babies out of wedlock. You know, there's this whole concept of being judged, and I don't want to tell you things that I'll tell my video game. So, so there's whole phenomenon around what we call uncanny valley and um, how you be cre create approachable empathetic and number one trustworthy brand and that's what we're trying to uh 
focus on um, um, there. But see, I told you it was a little long-winded answer, but that's really something I've put a lot of time in my career into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, well, it, sa- it sounds really important, actually, because um, as, as you've alluded to, so much of communication is not about the words. It's about... Um, the, you know, the way those words are said, it's about the body language and it's about the relatability of the person that you're communicating with, you know, and um, uh, when when you talk about communication, whether it's coaching, whether it's selling, whether it's serving, uh, one of the first stages is building rapport. You know, how does, mm-hmm. how does a persona, uh, one of your AI um human uh, uh people let's call them people how how do characters how do they um build rapport uh with a, a real flesh and blood human being so that's a tough question but a great question um we build at the core we're building this we call it a personality platform so what is make what is what makes david roberts david roberts it's how he looks how his mannerisms are, what tone of voice he has, um, even, even, you know, what knowledge is in his brain, how does he approach situations? So there's a lot around what a personality is. It's not just the aesthetics. So the first thing we do is really start to look at the demographic that we're targeting. Um, I'll use RTI has been a great partner of ours. They do probably four or 500 clinical trials a year, at least manage them. And we've done several clinical trials with them. And that's real key in the healthcare space. So the first thing you have to do is attract a certain demographic. So if I'm trying to conduct a clinical trial and I need that demographic to be, you know, whatever it is, 25 year old uh, Hispanic females. The first thing you need to do is look at your demographic and your audience and say, okay, we work directly. We're not, we're not magic makers. We work with the patient experience teams. We work with the clinical trial assessment teams. We work with the principal investigators and we literally say, okay, based on the audience we're trying to receive, who would they talk to? Who who would they trust? And then we create this library of personalities that um, not only do we say, um, here's what that one target would be, but um, we'll create a library of personalities. So if you're going to be engaging in this clinical trial and we can look at what character options we provide you, you can then have certain control and you select what character you're most comfortable interacting with. So immediately you've now picked, basically <clears throat> picked your friend, you know, pick, picked who you picked who you're most comfortable with. And we find that when that person speaks the same language, um, has some of the cultural idiosyncrasies that different cultures have, has a cultural um, um, aesthetic that's appealing to them. Um, we find like one interesting little sidetrack as, as a uh, middle-aged white guy, I can say this, um, is that um, even in the female population, they want to talk to other females. There's a certain amount of trust and empathy that uh, a female personality would have over a male. That's not blanket. That's just that statement saying, create a character that you trust, that that you're comfortable engaging with. Um, We've even gone so far, talk about the rapport. We'll get instant rapport with, I think, is one of the most overlooked uh, communities in the world, and that's the deaf community. We have deaf consultants. We work. We've spent years training our avatars 
to um, deliver American Sign Language and now British Sign Language in, in, in the UK with Princess Alexandra Hospital. So the deaf community is very, very often overlooked because they, it's hard to find translators. You, you don't have interpreters standing by all the time unless there's a constant need. And since the population is not there. So the point is, is by creating a culturally relevant character that can now not only communicate in spoken language, but can speak um, um, ASL, American Sign Language, or British Sign Language, goes a mile. And even if it's not a perfect translation, even if it's not a perfect signing, you've now shown a, a welcoming. People feel that they're represented. People feel that they're being listened to and represented by the hospital, by the clinical trial, by the companies that are claimed to be helping them. And you really feel like they're listened to. And that, that's part of that long-winded answer again, but it really goes to the complexities of what it takes to build that rapport you were asking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and it, the length of the answers is, 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 all, is all good uh, because uh, what you're um, opening up there is actually th- there's a lot of talk about diversity, about inclusion, um, and you know the, the role that organisations need to play in in creating a, a more inclusive uh, society. Um, so what you're talking about is is if, if I read it correctly or hear you correctly is is giving people an option about who they want to engage with, which character they want to engage with, uh, so that so that they can feel like they're talking to somebody who's like them, even though it's not a real human being. Is that is that what you're saying? That's exactly. As a matter of fact, a shameless plug: if you go to our website at ihealthassist.com, you'll see a, a sampling of about five or six of those characters, and some of them are Hispanic, some of them are black, some of them are white, and we have a non-binary character on the on the site as well. So you can kind of get a representation. And I invite people there not only just to drive the traffic there, of course. <laughs> um, but to really see what we're talking about, because our characters, they don't look photorealistic. We used to be photorealistic, quite honestly. And I'm going to go off on a little tangent again, David, you know, t- tangent alert. Um, we used to be that company that wanted to be, oh, the technology is great and wonderful. How close, can, how real can we make this? And we found that more we got it real, 80% of the, we call them pointy heads over here, the geeks, the technologists, we're going, oh, that's cool. That's impressive. But 20% of the people, once we'd push these things live and into the real world, we did work with Staples, we did work with the Seattle Mariners. Um, but once we'd push them into the real world, um, about 20% of the people were quite bluntly just creeped out about it. Just a little, that's, oh, that's cool, but that's a little creepy. So we were lucky enough that we got enough traction on. I had a meeting with the, at the time, senior vice president of uh, Disney Imagineering, who used to run, quite honestly, a gaming company and um, had put the facial avatars photos from a person's webcam onto the character in the game. And it kind of creeped people out, but he looked at it and he, he was the first person to go your your characters are cool. We're not going to do it. We're Disney. We, we got our own thing, but a little advice, Chuck back off. <laughs> Try to be so realistic. Think about what, what Disney's all about. So, so we backed off our characters, didn't make them too cartoony, but they're, they're like gaming characters, like, you know, Pixar type characters. Hmm. And, um, and and you'll see them on the site. And um, one last little anecdote to prove that point and why we believe that we're on the right target where some people are being too cartoony and robotic and some people are being too photorealistic. And we're, we're kind of hitting that 
what I'm going to call the gamer balance is we did a couple of shows and it's a little anecdotal, but it was pretty funny because we had this character that was at the show and it was sitting next to this escalator and someone was rushing upstairs and they bumped into one of our avatars. Now, if you bump into someone's computer or you knock their laptop or their phone on the floor, what's the first thing you do? I'm going to turn to you and go, oh, I'm sorry. I bumped your computer. I'm sorry I broke that. The first thing this person did was turn to the avatar and apologize to it. So they really believe behind the scenes that there is a certain sentience to it, but they weren't scared of it. They weren't freaked out about it. They just honestly went, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And then kept walking on like they had just talked to a human. So it's really play into the concept of our brain, what we call in the gaming business. I mentioned that the suspension of disbelief, you know, it's Laura Croft or, you know, it's Mario, you know, it's Toad, you know, it's not a real character, but you still believe they have a personality. You still believe that you're racing against Bowser. You know, you really believe that. And, and that, that's, that's a spent that suspension of disbelief and the power of the human brain is something that I think, um, Another little shameless boast. I, I think gamers have been doing for decades and are intently inherent um, understanding of the human engagement component that a lot of the, I'll say, I'll say it, a lot of the smarter people and more technically minded people out there uh, probably miss a little bit of. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I read something recently which said that um, actually gaming you know this got quite a bad rap from the point of view of you know melting people's brains and all that kind of stuff but but actually uh gamers there's a lot that that they learn about um you know creative problem solving uh you know mental agility uh, all of those kind of things and if you can put that together with uh you know some of the um with the ability to adapt to different social situations and everything else, then potentially you've got a really creative and you know value-adding member of society there. You are 100% correct, and you're making me smile there, David, because uh, ask, ask anybody who's still a part of the company. We, we half jokingly, but half seriously say whenever we interview someone, like I said, most of the company was started by gamers, but we say you're going to be out the door in 90 days because you don't like the culture and you don't really get, if I can say it that way, what we do or you're going to be a member for life. And when people interview with us, most people like, you know, how many years of, you know, C++ experience do you have? You know, can you give me a code sample here? Or if a customer service, you know, how many, how many, you know, what, what version of 3d studio max do you use? And the first thing I always ask people is what do you do for fun? And if they say gaming, I ask them what their favorite game is. Because at the end of the day, what people do well is what they have a passion for. And I've learned, and you said it word for word, it's not me, it's you saying this, gamers, um, and I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, gamers in my 45 years of technical development and career development, gamers have always been the best problem solvers. There's something about a game that stimulates the mind and the problem solving, and I will stack a team of gamers up against a non-team of gamers any day of the week on problem solving. And, 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 and that's, that's the team we built and the team I love to work with. It's, it, it's truly um, a blessing to be able to have fun to go to work every day. Cool. Cool. So, yeah. So what's the message to parents then? You've got, you've got kids who, who they think are spending too much time on, uh, on their Xbox or PlayStation or whatever it might be. There's, there's a balance. There's, there's obviously a balance. Um, people, some, some of the gamers that even, um, 
get a, get a little carried away. But gaming in and of itself is is really a mental challenge if you think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of partial in a fan. I, I kind of wish like the Wii Fit games and all were more popular because mm-hmm. I kind of like the concept of um you know, a, a hybrid between physical gaming and mental gaming. And I think uh, our digital Xboxes, um, um, Playstations and such, and, and um, even even the handheld consoles, you know, even little Nintendo Switches have a lot of um, um, value and problem solving in gaming, but they, they do tend to make a... Um, What's the word I want to, a little more of a sedentary, sedentary, uh, whatever the word is, um, um, lifestyle, um, if they use it too much. So, so I'd love to see AR and VR be more popular than it is. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised it's not, but that's, that's the techie talk in there, but there's just something fascinating about combining a, a reality and non-reality if we could get gamers moving a little more, I think you'd have kind of the best, best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That's really interesting. So, so. I've seen at airports uh, these mm-hmm. um, these kind of screens that are in the shape of a human being with a with some with a with somebody being projected onto it, um, giving you directions, you know, to get to the baggage reclaim or about going through security and you know clear bags and all that sort of stuff. Um, what you do is 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 very very different to that. Could you could you explain in a bit more detail about what? Um, what 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 would be a typical, if there is such a thing, experience for somebody who encounters uh, one of your personas in, say, a healthcare setting? Okay, and we can use airports too, because quite honestly, um, there are a couple of um, similarities. Like I think wayfinding in a hospital environment, in an airport environment, is important. So we do offer some wayfinding solution. We've um, we've seen other silhouette based um avatars and most of those are i'll call them looping video you know type pieces and a little too photorealistic they don't have that engagement component um a typical experience for our unit um let's talk let's take the hospital experience and what makes it a little different is just that conversational piece so you walk up to it and we have we have a little sensor and we have a little bit of notion so we're not just sitting there looping back and forth and trying to be like a digital signage there's truly a communication and that's really the underlying that the one word if i say what the differentiator is it's the communication so just to kind of walk you through the experience and you can probably see it on our website you'd walk up to the unit and it would say hey welcome to you know princess alexandria hospital how can i help you and you can say She's, she's not saying, you know, touch the screen, do this, try to figure out this. She's like, how can I help you? And I go, you know what? I think I broke my arm. Where do I go? And she'll say, oh, you need to go to the emergency department. Here's how you get to the emergency department. So she is providing some of that um, wayfinding solution, but it's a very free form conversation. You can walk up and say, man, I've had a tough night. Where can I get a cup of coffee? Oh, you can get a coffee down here at so-and-so, so-and-so. So it's really, and you can ask things like how much is parking? And if she doesn't know, she'll say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I don't, I don't, nobody's told me that. And then she can bring in and text, you know, a member of the staff or so. So she's not omnipotent. Matter of fact, if you ask Siri, where can I get a cup of coffee at Princess Alexandria Hospital? I guarantee you she's not going to know. <laughs> so you really tr- you t- treat, tr- treat these characters as if they're staff augmentation, as if they're additional members of your staff. Now, you keyed on one thing that I think people... Um, um, totally missed the underlying value of a conversation. 
And it's not just about fluency and what we call a uh, frictionless experience. It's more frictionless. You know, you don't have to learn something. You don't have to do something. You just talk. But when I'm having a conversation with you, we're, we're unveiling questions that are coming to your mind that neither one of us probably anticipated before this podcast started. Is that fair? Yeah, fair to say. That, that's going to happen in public. So we don't, your patient experience team, your customer experience team, your passenger experience team, anybody out there that's creating digital signages and pieces like that and trying to create staffing to, to, to support this doesn't always know what the client really wants. We think we know what they want and we put up there. And then sometimes we have these little patient satisfaction surveys where you have a little, you know, red frowny face or a green happy face or a yellow mediocre face. Or if you're lucky, lucky, lucky. You'll try to put some little survey up there with four or five questions on it. And then you'll try to get people to hang around and ask those questions. That's not effective. And you'll say, do you want option A, B, or C? Well, you know what? 75% of the people chose option B. Well, what if I'm asking for option Q? You didn't even anticipate that I wanted Q. So when you carry on a conversation, all that stuff about patient satisfaction, patient surveying, Said, um, you know, what am I asking for? What do we think people want for? If I walk up and go, you know what? It's been a rough day. Is there a place I can get a beer around the corner? Oh, we never thought of that. You know, hey, how, what, what, you know, how many, how many beds are in this hospital? Um, you know, whatever a client might want to help out. Um, now we can take that and our character obviously is a, AI character. So it has this almost infinite capacity to remember. So then we'll go back to the patient experience team and we'll say, you know what? You, you, we've programmed this thing to know these 135 questions, these 75 locations, whatever it is, we've taught it. But your clients are asking for these five or 10 things that you never thought about. How do you want your character to respond in the future? And right now, the practical limitation is, is mind-boggling even to me. The practical limitation of how many questions she can really answer is pretty much in, infinite, but practically it's about 35,000. Wow, okay. And you go, wow, you can answer 35,000 questions? Wow, that's a lot. So most of the time we launch with less than you know, 100, 150 basic questions. What are your frequently asked questions? Where do people need to get to? What do they need to know about? And it's rarely over that anyway. So we already have this capacity to your point is to not only service your customer, but provide insight into what you're not giving your customer in a passive environment. I don't have to ask you, please fill out this survey. I don't have to ask you, what else would you like to see? I'm just saying, how can I help you? Yeah. And then you'll ask that question and then we'll, we call it continuous improvement. We'll learn and train and that character becomes more and more and more valuable. So that's the complex answer again, but that's the complexity that we provide that doesn't come with a video projector showing a loop of a animated character on a silhouette. Yeah. And that, that really is brilliant because a lot of the, um, a lot of the um, automated phone systems, again, that you, you, that you would get, you know, if if you don't get if you don't get the answer that the person wants, you know, invariably your feedback is is a well they hang up uh, or they ring back, 
um, or, or whatever. So um, that's brilliant that that's captured captured live. And so so that's the kind of um, yeah welcoming and, and navigating type application for a persona. What other what other things can 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 personas do? Uh, ironically, one of the biggest things it did is um, pretty much a dead market coming back because we used to do a lot of um, trade shows and live events because they did have that inherent capacity to to know lots of things. Like we did the um, the U.S. launch of the new RAV4 a couple of years back up in Nima Colon in Pennsylvania, and we would put our avatars next to the cars, and then people would come up and ask questions that any we call them booth ambassadors in the trade show world over here. I don't know what y'all call them. Um, but any booth ambassador would be hard pressed to educate themselves. And unless you're going to send your, you know, lead ASE certified mechanic to every trade show, hmm. um, he's not going to be able to answer the question. So we would teach the avatars to be specialist. What's the displacement? What's the foot pound torque? You know, what colors are available? What options are available? Can this thing do whatever, whatever, you know, whatever. And I'm not a, I'm not a car guy. So, but you can understand with that many number of questions and that knowledge base, we can teach that person to be this perfect product specialist. I personally still have a passion for um, some of those use cases we've worked with around what we call e-consent, digital consent and recruitment for clinical trials. Um, we have a very, very slanted um, clinical trial system in the U.S. where the majority of your participants are middle-aged males. You know, females are grossly underrepresented, and you kind of hate to admit it until I think it was 1972 or something like that. Women weren't even allowed to can be in clinical trials in the U.S. Hmm. Um, and then there's um, many, many underrepresented communities because of trust. Trust in the U.S. is deemed one of the largest and probably the single biggest factor for why minorities and underserved communities don't participate in, in trials. So um, I believe that the um, we've only done about seven or eight so far. Um, that's, a, that's a piece I'd love to grow. Um, to be able to provide a better way of attracting the proper demographic for a trial, as long as you, you can shorten your time to, 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 to get the trial started, you can recruit the correct demographic. Um, you know, over here in the U.S., you know, probably 30% of trials never even get started because they can't get the right demographic recruited. Um, so those types of inequalities that happen in our healthcare system just kind of snowball on each other and, and, and they're not changing. So I, I really think that's a, a good use case. We've had a lot of um, visitor management's a good one. You know, we have a couple of companies, one in there in the Netherlands, too, that uses them for receptionist, kind of support some uh, receptionist duties. Um, some of the more... Um, I'll call it uh, complex scenarios would be, um, you know, more of the kind of um, we're trying to grow into more of a patient advocacy role. Um, there's a lot of hurdles around the not only just the ethicals and the um, uh, security and privacy concerns, um, but but there's a, a lot of tremendous um, gap that still exists between, you know, just the nomenclature and the complexities of uh, of healthcare that we're hoping to get into, but we're, we're, we're not quite there yet. So there's, um, as much as I brag about it being uh, a 30, 40 year old industry, it's still pretty much in its fledgling for what its potential. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is. I mean, so, and, and so. it's, um, one thing I was thinking was, uh, it, so, so would it, would it be possible to have an avatar, um, effectively, uh, to, to, you know, 
do a consultation. So therefore, you know, they got the information, collect the data, um, you know, and then that that can then interface into the the, the record for the client. So the, the details of the conversation are captured against that client, um, you know, account number or whatever it might be. Is is that kind right. of thing within the scope of the technology? It, it is. It's not something we're currently um um putting out a productization for. Um, it's kind of hard. Well, I shouldn't say it's hard. It's hard to speak. It would be easy to see on a graph. We're really creating this personality layer. And then the enterprise solutions that lie behind the layer that say, okay, well, you build your own complex system. And then we'll um, put a different experience on top of it. Like the wayfinding solution you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, we partner with a company called Mapped In. And Mapped In creates all the mapping and they do all the uh, generation of the map and how do you get from point A to point B. We're, we're not a wayfinding company. So we partner with Mapped In, but then we put our avatar on top of their uh, piece like LobbyGuard uses stuff. We put our stuff on top of LobbyGuard and we've been used at universities um, um, for that. Um, I'm sorry, financial institutes. We have worked with universities for queue management systems. So think of us as a user experience layer. Yeah. So all these use cases you're mentioning would really be boiled down to someone coming to me and saying, hey, I've got a patient check-in system and I want it to be enabled as a conversational avatar versus an iPad form fill out. Yeah. Could you do that? And then we'd work with that team. Um, now, we've created certain solutions within the healthcare, the clinical trial solution in particular, clinical recruitment, and of course, the um, hospital wayfinder, the AI, what we call it, AI concierge, because it does more than wayfinding. It's a really kind of like a patient advocate that sits at the front of the hospital. Those we rolled in-house um, because we do see the market still very fledgling and um, people aren't knocking down the doors asking for AI avatar, digital abstraction layers right now. Right, <laughs> so yeah. we're still kind of waiting for that to come out. So yeah, yeah, sure. I'm just thinking about what what the potential for it could be because again, you know, if you if you if you're talking about the benefit to organisations, uh, if if it if it if it's almost like a, if it's almost able to sort of triage, you know, to to a degree, uh, and then that can evolve over time. Then potentially, then speed of service, speed of response, and all that mm -hmm. could be accelerated. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, there's no no sense in trying to sell something that no one wants to buy yet, right? It's a case of working yeah. it through. Well, the triage portion is not just because of the term triage, but that's part of what the um value proposition has been to the healthcare system because you know about the i think i think the the stat is like you know something something uh, i'm not i'm not, almost not even gonna make up the stat but it was astronomical it's like 70 percent are are late for their appointments right so what toll does that take on your healthcare professionals mm -hmm. it's amazing that i think it was 40 40 hours a month for your average hospital worker is asking questions I mean, asking for directions okay. or you know, general questions around the hospital. So even your surgeons and nurses and nurse practitioners that are walking down the hallways are getting stopped and asking for directions. And then people, they're getting frustrated. They're late for their stuff. So the, the whole point about triaging, and that's what I was alluding to about, well, what if these avatars, what if these hospital avatars um, could take that burden off of their staff? So it's not even just, does the patient thinks it's cool? But is the patient getting the information they want in a frictionless experience quickly? And is that reducing the burden on the way, way, way overburdened hospital working uh, staffing uh, problems that we have in the U.S.? And I, uh, my limited experience over there is that uh, uh, in the U.K., um, you know, that 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 problems 
not gone away either. No, no. <laughs> um, so, so how do you, how do you, how do you augment the staff and, and improve your staffing capability without hiring new staff? Yeah. Well, you, you find a productivity tool that will relieve the burden on that staff. And, yeah. and, and that's one reason we focused on healthcare outside of a few personal reasons, but that's a, yeah, cool. Well, I was going to ask you about that actually. So, so uh-huh. the the, fo- the focus on healthcare. What 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 was driving? Because because you're the CEO of this organization. You know, you can navigate mm-hmm. the organization any which way uh, you want. I suppose with the with the blessing of your of your of your team. Uh, but um, but but why why healthcare as a focus? It's a great question, and I'm I'm pretty open book about this. Uh, probably about going on six years now, clean. Um, but my um my wife got cancer, uh, breast cancer, and um. I took a little time and obviously helped her, but was still working, um, promised her. She gave me a hard time about the, not having my colonoscopy yet. So the day she finished her radiation, I, I went in the very next day or a couple, maybe a couple of days afterwards on a promise that she made me keep her found that I had late stage colon cancer and took off almost eight to 10 months, um, about eight months, six to eight months, uh, fighting that, you know, yeah. that, uh, I call it the, uh, 90 day, 82 pound weight loss program. <laughs> Not one I recommend for anybody, but it was, it was pretty horrible. Yeah. And then she got cancer again. So literally within this like four or five year period, my wife and I battled three, three different versions of cancer. Um, right. And so we had up to that point been focusing on the trade show business, retail, shopping malls, who's got the money. You know, we did uh, an eight foot tall holographic moves for the Seattle Mariners. We did all this fun commercial stuff. And then we realized that after going through this three to five years, the amount of information when you're put in that position and then someone who hasn't been in that position can't really uh, grasp. And this is where the teary eyed part comes. If I can hold it together, you don't realize how overwhelmed when, when your life expectancy has been reduced by, you know, 17 years hmm. um, and, and your survival rates, not uh, uh, the numbers you like to see, you really change what's going on and you get immediately overwhelmed. You're going in and out of hospital systems. I was back and forth to MD Anderson Cancer Center, who all got, God bless them. They, uh, I'm pretty sure they saved my life. Um, and you go back and forth through all these institutions, all these doctors, all these oncologists, these scans, these MRIs and all, and a patient immediately gets overwhelmed in our healthcare system. Mm. And I, I consider myself a reasonably intelligent guy, um, but we were we were just going back and forth through Texas and UK. I mean, uh, UNC up here, North Carolina. And um, bottom line is we went and go like everybody, you get on the internet, you're looking for false information and you go, Wow, someone who doesn't have the f- support network I had um, is drowning in our healthcare system. Right. So we said, why are we trying to not why are we? Of course, we're all here to, you know, make a living, make some profit on it. But our focus and what you know, we're so good at this engagement piece. So we we jokingly we shouldn't so jokingly actually we 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 put it into our little logo. The company's name is Personas, hmm. and the new logo for iHealth Assist has our Personas logo, which is like a little human silhouette logo. We put a heart in, and we say now it's Personas with a purpose. Okay. So our iHealth Assist is really Personas with a purpose, which means all this cool, fun engagement technology that's that was helping the commercial world, and the marketing world, and the retail world. We want it now to be focused and helping uh, people through their patient journey and helping the healthcare staff uh, supply better uh, service to the patient population. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, um, 
great, great you made it through. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it. so yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's really great news. But I mean, uh, so I suppose that then begs another question then. So having this, this deep personal experience um, and yeah, being, being a, a cancer survivor and both you and your wife, I mean, what, what, what difference did that make on, from a, from a kind of a purpose point of view, were you even thinking about purpose before, or was it just different? I mean, what 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 was your experience of from that perspective? I would say it's different. Um, I don't know if it's me getting old or going through cancer or a combination of both, but it it wasn't that we didn't always want to do cool stuff with personas. We had done some museums, which were kind of fun, you know, art and outreach for at the museum community. We had um done a couple of um fundraisers and charitable things for um, 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 a science, uh, a museum downtown and a children's museum. So we always, you know, wanted to quote unquote, do the right thing and be there, but it was never really the focus of the organization. At the end of the day, we were still trying to make our partners and shareholders money. And we were still trying to make it a growth company. And and that was um, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on your side of the fence, was still kind of the uh, focus of the C-suite and what we thought we wanted to do as a company. And um, I just say it's, it's shifted. We're still hoping to, to, to make some commercial impact as well. Of course, um, we're all in business to improve the, the, the life and living of our, our, our families, our employees and our friends. Yeah. Um, but it did mean um, a lot to be able to take this and go, okay, I could see where it already would help us. And what we had to go through through hospitals and, um, you know, with aging parents and all, like everybody suffers from, um, that's a population that doesn't like technology, doesn't understand technology as well as a younger generation, but they still have to navigate that same healthcare. So it's definitely um, shifted focus. Um, but I wouldn't say we were without purpose before. We're just a little more focused on uh, personal journeys for people, not for companies. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just it's just interesting because even even if the if the purpose is to create experiences that people enjoy, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. The purpose doesn't have to be this kind of like you know grand, uh, you know, world cha- changing thing. You know, a purpose is something that's very very personal to 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 you or to the. Uh, to, to the mission of the business, you know, and there's a lot, whole lot of problems in the world that need solving. So it's just whether Absolutely. whether purpose sort of rank up there as something that you spoke about before, whether you speak about it more now. I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to explore that. It it is it is really cool. And there was a one little project we 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 helped contribute to, but didn't. Um, it was really early in our career with digital personalities, but it kind of combined both because as you probably gathered. Maybe not as much as people around me. They get tired of me hearing hearing me talk about Disney. Um, you know, Disney in my mind was a, a pretty amazing man. A man. Um, but in any sense, um, you know, he was very technology focused as well. And we were able to work with Florida Hospital System down at Celebration Health, which is owned by Adventus Health now, and then a couple of the other hospitals around the area. And they were gracious enough to lend some of the Disney characters to some of the experience. And then we built our own little animated bear that would greet kids that had to have MRIs and CAT scans done. So the bear, they would walk into the MRI ward and the bear would, uh, you know, greet them and give them a little review on what was, 
what they were going to experience. And they went through their trouble of building like a sandcastle around the CT scan. And also kids went on a ride through the sandcastle hmm. and the bear would tell them what to experience. The bear had had CT scans and all too. That was a, a cool little project. So you were able to take the power of an animated character. Now that was a little more you know, juvenile related, um, because it was, you know, the, if you, if you go and be in splash mountain and your kid cracks his head on the asphalt, that's the hospital they take you to. Mm. So you can imagine the demographic we were targeting there, Yeah, but that was a combination of fun and purpose, you know, letting kids feel more comfortable having a cat scan gun, letting kids feel, Oh shit, they're in a place that's scary and big and they got health issues and we set up a little playroom and they could go in there and see holographic fish swimming around while they were talking to a bear and getting prepped for their CT and MRI scans. And that was a pretty, that was a pretty amazing experience. Awesome. Awesome. And you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, businesses that focus purely on profit, but ignore the purpose kind of miss a trick. I mean, it, did, are you seeing profit following a focus on purpose for, for your business? Um, as revealing as it might sound, probably not. <laughs> probably because I'm a little too focused on uh, 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 the purpose side and the, um, the 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 fun side and the changing. Um, I'm, I'm I, I'd like to jokingly call myself the the Walt without my Roy Disney. You know, Roy ran all the finances <laughs> yeah. and made everything happen, and and I, I don't have a Roy right now. Um, so I um, I tend to um, spend all of our profits just making the product cooler and better and faster. And maybe someday that intellectual property will pay off. I'm not saying we're, you know, we're not a struggling little company, but we're not a, we're not a growth company. Yeah. And um, I, I'll self um, deprecate my uh, uh, business acumen and say that, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm by trade, I'm an electrical engineer, computer science, 3d animator. I've been to four different universities, but all my degrees are neither technology or, are um, music and multimedia. Um, so, I, so I tend to be a little more focused on the creative technologies and less about the business acumen side. So, Okay. Okay. But as a gamer though, good at solving problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In a perfect world, I'd probably come up with someone who kind of sees a purpose and would kind of roll me up and say, okay, you've, you, 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 you focus on the customer experience. Let me focus on how to, uh, monetize it and that would probably be a, a, a welcome discussion okay cool well you know you heard it here first then listeners <laughs> so that, that, if you've got an idea there could be an opening uh, so uh, so no that, that well that sounds cool but it does sound like the kind of thing though that is is there's not doesn't i can see a real need for it and you know the, this this whole thing about being able to uh well one increase the pro productivity in in, in a business there's lots of effort, effort and focus on uh, on reducing, if you like, cost to serve, but to create capacity for growth. So that's not just about you know slashing costs. That's about creating capacity for for, for growth for, for businesses. And um, and yeah, and and th there's a there is a big problem as we said right at the top of the conversation with you know not enough humanity being in, in, in how we use artificial intelligence and, and yeah, but we, I think we need more of that. So I, I think there's a, there's a market for it. Absolutely believe it as well. Absolutely. Yep. Wouldn't have spent this much time and effort getting to this point, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but there, there is a real need to not only add that humanity, but how do you do it cost effectively? I did a talk in Barcelona, Spain about that. Um, where they're like, well, you know, the technology is here to do it, but if you get a team engaged and you go recreate what we've created, you know, you're talking 
we've been at it since 2013. Yeah. So we'd like to think we're relatively mature to the market. And if you had to go to a company and go, oh, this is cool. Why don't you do it for us? Okay, well, hire these people, put this much money. You'd, you'd be going like, wait, wait, the practicality is not there. Mm. So um, part of the talk was, what what are we doing differently there? You're asking about our competitive advantage and what we're doing that other people aren't doing. Well, what we're doing is focusing just on that UX layer. What does that personality engine look like? And then all the people that have all these great, wonderful, just thousands of enterprise applications that are solving these complex problems, what are we doing? We're just abstracting humans away from the technology behind it. Yeah. We're just creating that communication barrier between the two. And that's how we believe that we're the we're taking the right approach to scaling this humanity we're talking about and scaling this customer experience and scaling this patient experience and hiding humans from this complexity and just unfathomable amount of IoT technologies and all that exist in the world today. How do you abstract that away so that it becomes invisible to us as humans? Yeah, 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 cool. And sometimes technology has a, has a time, right? So there's a whole kind of right place, right yes. time. So uh, so look, Chuck, I, I, I'm, it sounds like you're doing brilliant things and I really hope your time is, is coming. Uh, and, um, and we're almost out of time. So, uh, so yeah, so it'd be good to, good to know. Are there any kind of um, key messages you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, not really. The, 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 key, the key message I always tell people is... Um, just really change the way you view AI. Think of AI as a productivity tool. Think of it as staff augmentation. Think of it as what what can you use this for so that AI is still very good at very specific things. It's not a general purpose engine like we are as humans. So if you could take your repetitive mundane task and you could automate, you, you could automate a per, per, portion of your personality for your purpose, that would free you up to do what I think, still think, even as advanced as we are, there's high value tasks, there's high value problem solving, there's high value actions that we as humans are inherently good at and only humans can do. Yeah. So stop looking at AI as a fear mongering replacement for humanity and taking over humanity and looking at it as a a catalyst to free up your creativity and the high value actions that humans are capable of doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And any improvement project that I've been part of, uh, that's basically been an, an outcome, whether it's been an intended outcome or not. You know, when, whether you look at, you know, in putting a um, a new a new uh, planning system into a, to a a factory that means that you know you're not doing the calculations you're reviewing the calculations you know any any, exactly. any example that i can think of that that that's got to be a great outcome cool absolutely hey, one other question just occurred to me sure so you talked a lot about diversity so you know culture gender that kind of thing what about um neurodiversity because uh again you know when when you think look at the characteristics of um you know, people with different neurologists, sometimes, again, they can feel less comfortable perhaps talking to a, to a human being. I mean, is there something in, in, in helping those people in your tech? That's a great question. And I'll be the first to say, I, I haven't pondered that greatly, but the fact that we can not only adjust as you've seen communication layers, um, as far as, um, what languages we speak and how we uh, uh, look at a character. We did do one project with 
a um, clinical trial with UNC where when we're talking about, you know, people who have a reduced mental capacity for whatever biological reason, they still wanted them in the clinical trials, but how do you relate the pros, the cons, the risk, the benefits to someone with a decreased neurocapacity in a clinical trial? Now, the way we did that, again, it's another case of we can, we can make our characters respond and understand whatever we tell them to. Hmm. So we worked with the clinical trial team at UNC and they admittedly, we didn't develop the content, but they would repurpose the content and they would ask real simple questions for a highly reduced um, neural capacity. Things like, you know, the reason I'm in this trial is because A, I get free candy bars. (laughs) B, you told me to do it. C, I can help other people with similar conditions to mine or D I just felt like it, you know, so you could really, and that those really aren't the questions I'm just dramatizing for effect, but they were very close to that actually. And it was really creating the mental delivery of our avatars to match the mental capacity and the current mental state of the patients and to be able to do that in a repeatable and you know, in the clinical trial world, everything's about repeatable and, and accountability. Yeah. Um, so to be able to do that in a very governed fashion and uh, that would meet regulatory compliance uh, type requirements was 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 done once. Mm. So we've only done that once, but um, um, it's something you've opened up my eyes a little again. It, it's something that I think is 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 um, you, this just type of technology is uniquely qualified to do. We're, mm. we're a pretty small company, so we. We, we can't take over the world yet yeah. all at once. So we got we to gotta eat that elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, cool, cool. Okay, good. Well, look, great, Chuck. Thank you so much for indulging my uh, <laughs> my, my, oh, my no, question. Oh, no, it's been a great, fascinating. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, so how, can people, how can people find out more about you, get in touch, and, uh, and uh, you know, give, give you some money in exchange for, uh, for a great avatar? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, of course, everybody's got websites. Our, the one one we like to point people to is iHealthAssist. iHealth Assist is the healthcare use cases that we're pretty passionate about. You know, the letter I with health and A-S-S-I-S-S-T, um, I-S-T, a health assist. Um, the, if you're interested in kind of what is this underlying technology, what does it mean to be a personality engine? You know, I'm an enterprise software company. I'm an enterprise company doing whatever, anything from you know, it doesn't matter, any enterprise company. And I want to enable my application with this type of communication. Then you can go to personas.com. It's spelled P-R-S-O-N-A-S.com. And Personas is the personality engine that would be retrofitted to your solutions. Um, I personally like corresponding through LinkedIn. I get a lot of value out of it and a lot of networking. I just um, beg and plead (laughs) on my knees um, that I love people to reach out to me when they're serious about a collaboration or serious about, ooh, I think this would be beneficial here. Um, but inevitably, it's going to happen. It turns into a spam fest and everybody calls me up and tells me they want to offer me their marketing services or their, you know, we can cut your development costs. And to be blunt, I don't want I don't want to. That's not my purpose for uh, um, asking you to let me be on your show. And um, yeah. Um, uh, preach to the choir here a little bit, but, um, but yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you're not selling something. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. Build rapport first. Hey, 
Exactly. <laughs> Let me pick the character I want to talk to. First. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, it's been brilliant uh, speaking with you. Uh, thanks for sharing your story. Mr. Candid about your story as well. I think it really helps to, to build that picture. And I love what you're doing and I wish you every success. I do sincerely appreciate it and appreciate you giving me your time. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, Tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Bye.